I'm Chad Main, the founder of Legal Services Company Percipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology and innovation in the legal industry. Today's episode, we're talking to Northwestern Law School professor Michael Zuckerman. He and I talk about the impact that technology has on critical legal thinking and on legal education. A few weeks ago, I ran across an article in the ABA Journal entitled, Law Professor Makes a Case Against Automating Legal Writing in Law School. Of course, this headline piqued my interest because I'm definitely on the pro side of maximizing the use of tech and legal. So I read the article and was intrigued, and I asked its author, Northwestern University legal writing professor Michael Zuckerman, if he'd come on the show. I wanted him to discuss his thoughts in more detail. Thankfully, he agreed, and we had a great conversation. While the headline of the article is probably technically accurate, Professor Zuckerman's argument is a little more nuanced. He's not anti-tech by any means, but he is worried that reliance on tech during law school or early in a lawyer's career may come at the expense of critical legal thinking. The legal Twitterverse caught wind of the article, and he caught a little grief for it. But that's why I wanted to bring Michael on the show. We in the legal tech bubble are so often focused on the benefits of legal tech that I thought it would be good to have someone on the show that's a little more cautious about its adoption. So in getting ready for the podcast today, I took a look at the tweets, got some blowback, but I wanted to open up our conversation today to establish you are not anti-tech by noting, I checked your LinkedIn profile, that you started a legal tech company a few years ago. <laughs> That's true. And I, I, I appreciate you opening it that way because as the tweet storm, uh, if you read it, so some people did not read it that way. Um, I'm not anti-tech at all. And and. Correct. I, I did start a legal tech company. It was small and it was short lived, and you know there there are a lot of reasons why. But I started a a company that sought to automate a lot of the uh, discovery that that flies around at law firms, and I found a kind of a, a way to build a better mousetrap. So I think there's a lot of innovation that uh, should happen in the legal profession, a lot that uh, will happen, and I think it's great. What was it specifically that the, the problem is addressing for discovery? So, the problem that it was addressing was that discovery oftentimes will fly around in emails and you don't know where to put it. You don't know where it is. You got to follow deadlines. So it was a better way to catalog and dock it where discovery goes. And there's a lot of technology and a lot of automation that you can build into it that would save attorney time and paralegal time. And so I thought, let's let's build this. I started using it for my own cases and there was something there. So I think tech has the potential to really help lawyers in their practice. And what happened to the company? I built it. It's it's still there. I still have it in the back of my mind. I may, I may revive it one day. Uh, I got a call from a federal judge who asked me if I'd like to clerk for her. So at, at that point, I said yes. And I, I ended up with a federal clerkship. And from there, I'm, I'm at Northwestern Teaching. The idea still lives and it, it remains. And whether I come back to it remains to be seen. You clerked here at the Northern District of Illinois for Judge St. Eve. And now you're a legal writing professor at Northwestern, among other areas. So it seems to be like writing because you can't do both of those jobs without being a good writer. How'd you get into that? So I love writing. And writing is something that I did all through undergrad. I majored in industrial and labor relations, which is a very, very writing intensive, you know, history papers, et cetera. But I like the way that law writes. I, I, I like legal writing. Um, I like putting together briefs and working in the courts. I've worked in the courts for four years. And I saw how judges write, and I was mentored by some of the best, including Judge St. Eve. And yeah, now I teach writing. Legal writing is more than just writing itself, the technical kind of aspects of writing. And uh, I'm happy where I am. And uh, there's a lot of technology that's coming into the writing space, which is, which is getting my attention. 
So that's why we're here. Yeah. So you wrote an article, and I'm going to paraphrase you because I want you to expand Please. on it. And this is where you got the blowback because I don't think people, I don't think some people who are giving you hell actually read the article. There was some nuances to it, which I want to get into. But the point of your article is that legal writing is a skill that may not be always best suited for automation because you need to put some thought into it. You need to learn. You need to learn how to think. If you just teach law students to put information in the computer and AI spits out what it thinks the answer to include in a legal brief, an emotion, whatever, you may be robbing law students of part of the legal education, a very key part of legal education that's critical thinking and writing. Did I paraphrase that right? You did. And I, 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 I appreciate that paraphrase. Yes. And so- Let's talk about that. What concerns you? I think you said the concern in the article. What concerns you? And I'm glad you're on the podcast too because it is legal tech focused. And so we always generally talk about the pros of innovation and legal tech and stuff, but we don't always get into things that you need to also consider. They're not anti-tech, but just other considerations about how tech becomes more prevalent in the legal industry. Right. And I think you said it exactly as I said, these are concerns. So I'm not, as we started, I'm not anti-tech. These aren't the cons of tech. These are simply concerns. And as tech continues to develop and and it's developing more rapidly each day, these are concerns that I would hope we all have in mind. And so what are my concerns? Um, As you paraphrase them, and I'll, I'll elaborate, my concerns are that We have the potential right now with technology, if students are using it and if students are are not being guided through it and if law schools are embracing it and not being thoughtful about this, that we could potentially put out a generation of lawyers, soon students who become lawyers, uh, of lawyers who are less skilled in their craft than the current lawyers who exist now. And that concerns me a lot as a law professor, sure, but but that concerns me as a very proud lawyer, and that concerns me in, in, in general. When you say less skilled, obviously they're not writing and practicing, it's that, but it seems to me your concern is more on the critical thinking. Obviously, you got to put it on the paper, but you think about a, a legal problem, you come up with arguments, pros and cons, and then you put them on the paper. It's the critical thinking that you're most worried about, right? It is the critical thinking. And I would add to that the, the problem solving, which is kind of a, a very close cousin. And so students often come into my, my class and the class is called communication and legal reasoning. So we shorthand it as legal writing, but it's not a course to teach you how to write. Lawyers do write a lot. And as lawyers I, I'm listening know, like a lot of lawyering is writing. But more than that, it's thinking, and it's thinking how to solve a problem. And writing is the mechanism that we usually communicate how we solve a problem or or our solution to the problem. But the strategy that goes behind a a legal document is something that I'm very concerned about a computer coming up with and telling a student how to present themselves. So you open up the article by saying, you know, you throw 100 mathematicians at a math problem. They're going to come up with the same answer because that's that's math. You say that that is not generally applicable in law because there's nuances and not every legal problem is the same. What do you say to the argument, true, not every legal problem is the same. Everyone has their own nuances. But for a good chunk of them, it's kind of the same answer. You know, you, it's, you may come out a little bit differently, but the answer is the same. So what would you say to that argument? I would say I understand that there, there's, you know, there's, there's always a winner, there's always a loser, there are, there are oftentimes arguments that repeat themselves, but every case is different. And 
Uh, a professor once told me this when, when I was in law school, that one of the duties we have as, as lawyers is that we take someone's life into our own hands. Whoever the client is, you, you, you want to say it's a company, you want to say it's a person, whoever the client is, we take their life into our hands by handling their matter as custodians of, of what they need us to do. And by not recognizing those nuances, by not deeply diving into what our client needs, I think we do the client a disservice by using a, uh, I'll call it a template, although this goes beyond templates, by using some artificial device to write what that device thinks our client needs, because that device, of course, cannot know what our client needs. And uh, that that's why we're lawyers. You got two quotes in the article. You say, writing is an art form unique to each writer. And you also say the idea of legal writing as an art form is also one of the most difficult concepts for law students to grasp un and, and understandably so. You just talked about attorneys being stewards or zealously representing their, their clients. And you brought up corporations too. Even if it's a corporation, you got to get in there and figure out what's the best way to to solve their legal problem. But this common refrain that I've heard a lot of times when I'm talking in house counsel on the podcast, but in general is, look, we don't need the perfect argument because some of these disputes, especially in the commercial context, it's just about money. And we just need to get the work done. We need to get in front of the court and the judge to get a decision made. We don't need perfect. We just need good enough for certain, you know, non-bet the company cases. So then there's that point. Like, what, why wouldn't AI work for that? Why should they pay... 10 hours for an associate to draft a brief when, now this is assuming the AI can actually do it, which I don't think we're there yet, but you just push a button and AI shoots out a brief. Why do you still think that in that situation, you, the lawyers are better suited to do it? Or maybe you don't, maybe you don't. So I, I think in that situation, there, there, there are lots of issues that come up. So one is what does the client want? And what the client wants doesn't necessarily drive what the lawyer is able to do. So the client wants... And AI, again, I, I agree. I, I don't think the technology exists yet, although I, I imagine it will. But let's just assume for the sake of this conversation, because it's you know, sure, going to advance. So. Sure. So, so assuming there's a there's a program out there that could, that can actually write a full brief for you, look at the record, write a brief. If a client wants the lawyer to use that, so issue one is, can the lawyer use that? Right. There, there are ethics issues. There's a duty of competence. There's 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 still time that the, the lawyer needs to review the platform. Is the platform even reliable? Um, how much time will that take? So I, I think there are, there are issues that will come up. I do think that there is cost savings that could be available to a client through the use of technology. And you mentioned bet the company litigation. So the my concern about AI and its potential to do what lawyers do. And I mean that in exercising professional judgment. That doesn't only apply to bet the company litigation. That would apply across the board. And at some point, there is a minimum level that lawyers cannot go below. And I, I don't know how much regulatory and, and, and ethics uh, opinions are out there, but delegating our professional responsibility to a machine completely, I think, is 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 very problematic, even if the client wants it. You're right. I, I don't think anybody's ever, at least not in the, in the foreseeable future, probably not going to just push the easy button and whatever the computer spits out, file with the court. So that you always do need need people. Like they say, you can't automate discretion. I think that's what you're talking about, right? Exactly. There's still some nuanced questions. But actually, which leads me going back to your main argument, 
it seemed to me in your article, your argument was seemed to me to be more specifically focused on the law school education than just you know teaching lawyers about tech, right? That, you- that, that, that's correct. And I, and I appreciate you picking up on that nuance as well. So I think the Twitter storm that you, that you started with didn't pick up on that. So I, I think the questions that, that we're talking about, and I'm happy to, to talk about, the answers to the questions become more difficult as we move out of the law school. So should lawyers be using these programs? How should lawyers be using these programs? I think those questions uh, become exponentially more difficult and nuanced as we move out of the law school. So it seemed to me, at least as I was reading it, is... Yes, lawyers definitely need to know about these tech tools. Law schools should be teaching it, but they should learn to think critically and figure out their own arguments first before just relying on a computer. Is that that's what I took? That, that, I I- that's correct. And you and you mentioned how I started with the calculator and the the easy retort to what I'm saying, which I I anticipate and I thought of as I was writing this. Well, you know, did the same sort of debate happen with regard to the calculator? And it probably did. And I, I you know I looked around a little bit like. It, it, it did, and it still does to some extent, but this is different. So we're talking about professional judgment versus objective clarity or objective correctness. So using a calculator to bypass the process of, of learning um, shorthand or learning paper division, is there a benefit in still learning how to do it by hand? I, I think so, but there is an objective answer that you're getting towards, whereas in exercising professional judgment, there is no objective correct way to do this. There is no solve for X that we're, we're getting at. But what do you say to this argument or this point? So when I was still litigating, one of the things I did was work for one of the larger insurance brokers. Sure. And it's some of the things I did is I'd represent the brokers they'd hire or the brokers that were hired away from from a competitor. And without fail, in every one of these cases, there was a non-compete agreement or restrictive covenant in there. And I would, whatever side I was on, I'd offer the same arguments every time. Like, there's no consideration or it's it's unreasonable because it's too long. So- couldn't a computer tell you to make those arguments? How is it different than you just go into the, the brief you'd filed 13 times before and just cutting and pasting and changing the names? Sure. What's I the think, difference there? And it's fair. And I think the difference there is those briefs that you filed before. Uh, why are you looking back at them? It's because you've looked at your present case. You've identified what argument you need to make. And, and maybe it's the same argument you've made 13 times before, but you've recognized I need to make argument X. And then you think, oh, well, I've, I've made argument X in a couple other cases or 13 other cases or, or in every other case. And you go back to your brief and you and you take that section, put in your new brief, you know, make sure it fits. And, and, and that's all well and good. Uh, using a computer to, let's say, upload the other side's argument or to upload the issue and having the computer tell you what argument to make, I think is a different ballgame. Because there, you're having the computer exercise its own, and I don't, I don't think computers have professional judgment. You're, you're asking the computer to tell you, based on some programming, what argument to make. And that is, I think, markedly different than you deciding what argument to make and then finding where you've made it before and adapting it. What you're kind of hitting on there um, is ethics, is legal ethics, because in a, a partner can't just give work to their associate, not keep an eye on them, or their or their their assistants and paralegals. They've got to keep an eye on it, and that's really what you're saying is, yeah, you, the computer just becomes a level, a type of assistance, 
And you've got to take a look at it and put some objective thought into it and some critical thought to make sure that what it spit out is correct, right? Right. So in this context, so we're, we're outside the law school. So if a lawyer decides to use a platform that might be able to assist the lawyer in identifying arguments, that's not objectionable in and of itself. It's just when the lawyer delegates her complete professional judgment to a technological platform, that's where I get concerned because we we do have an obligation. Sure, there are ethical obligations here that there are probably many of them that this implicates, but there's also our job as lawyers to exercise our own professional judgment. And if a computer can assist us, maybe help us with the blind spot or say, hey, you know, and, and you see something through a platform, great. But delegating it completely, I think, is a problem. And these, and the concern, or at least one of the concerns, is that lawyers may do that. And that ends up in a place that I think hurts clients and also hurts our profession in general. After the break, Professor Zuckerman talks about where he thinks technology does fit into a law school education. He also talks about what technology he does like to use for legal writing. We need to do more with less. That is the key takeaway nowadays from almost every survey of in-house counsel. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if you actually could do more for less? By combining legal expertise and technology, Percipient enables legal teams to get more work done for less. Buried in contracts and sales is frustrated with turnaround time? We can help with that. Did you just get hit with a subpoena and reviewing 100,000 documents and files will tax your resources or cost you a small fortune in billable hours? We can help there, too. Our team of legal professionals leverage tech and project management principles with the right amount of human oversight to deliver precise, efficient, and cost-effective legal solutions. Whether it's legal operations and contract management support, subpoena compliance, or document review, Percipient is your partner in really doing more for less. Percipient, legal services powered by technology. We'll get back to my conversation with Professor Michael Zuckerman in just a second. But before we do, I just wanted to let you know, as I always do, that at tlpodcast.com, there's a dedicated episode page for every episode that we do of Technically Legal. On that page, you'll find more information about our guests and links to some of the stuff we talked about. Like in today's episode, there's a link to Professor Zuckerman's article. Okay, let's get back to my conversation with Northwestern Law School Professor Michael Zuckerman, and we pick up with him explaining where legal tech does fit in a law school education. I think it fits in at a point later in the law school experience. So legal tech, it depends what legal tech means. So legal technology, I think, fits. I think legal technology should be a part of law school. Uh, We're very, very clear on that. Legal technology and law school are one and the same in the sense of our profession and our schooling. We, we, we use technology. Look at the pandemic. We, we quickly pivoted to a very technologically based platform, as did a lot of law firms using new tools, not just Zoom, but a lot of new tools for teaching. Uh, and it, it's very common, even before uh, the pandemic, where we're using tools from some of the big companies like Lexus and Westlaw, et cetera, that use really advanced research techniques and we teach them to our students. So that's all fine. So later in the law school life, 
two L's, three L's, I, I think we should be introducing the the reality that there are some very, very advanced programs that exist in the world and may exist at your law firm. I think for me, and, and so where I'm seeing this, so I, I teach first year law students, I think introducing those programs to the law students as welcome to law school, here's a program that would write a brief for you. And hey, by the way, my class uh, requires you to write a brief and you get a grade on it. I have a lot of hesitation doing that. I think it gives the student, and I, I assume the best with every student, but I think it gives the student a an incentive to, hey, let me check that out. Could that help me in this class? And maybe it could, I don't know, but it would certainly take away from the learning objective I hope to achieve. So that's another interesting point you raise. Teaching 1Ls, they are without question in this day and age, digital natives. Do you find it difficult or is it, is it a challenge to teach this next generation of lawyers to actually not just do a Google search for whatever legal issue they're looking for or find that software, you know, push the button and give you the brief? Do you, do you find it difficult to actually have them go through the motions to make the, you know, look at the case laws, read the cases, think about it critically, and then draft draft the legal work? I don't find it difficult, but I do agree that students are, are craving a digital approach to this. And that's not to say we don't give that to them. I, th I think we do. So I think through using the major legal research platforms that uh, law school libraries all have and students all have access to, they have that. We, we have sessions where students learn about how to find things online in, in a way that I think works with them. We, we don't use the books anymore. The, no. the, 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 right, we're, we're sitting in a law office right here with, 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 <laughs> a, lot, with a lot of books with dust which, on them. Which, yeah, have, by the way, haven't been touched since like probably 2000. Probably not. They, 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 they look beautiful, but, but no one looks at them. And, and the same with, with the library at the law school. The books are there, but we don't teach them anymore. But students are craving a, a digital research we're giving it to them. And you, you mentioned Google searching and, and, and some may disagree with me here, but you know, if a student wants to jump on Google and Google a legal question and see what comes up, that's fine. As long as they're being thoughtful about it, sure. See, see what's going on. But in the end of the day, you have to realize what you're putting together and who your audience is and what sources you're using and be careful about plagiarism, et cetera. And yeah, I, I, I think we, I think legal education, um, some may say has not completely you know, caught up or completely tracked where uh, legal tech is going. Although I'd, I'd push on that. I, I'd say we, we are very technologically advanced. It's just some of these very advanced tools, not that we don't want to adopt them. I think though that some of them are just inappropriate to adopt very early on in law school. So what would you say if I said, you, okay, here's what we're going to do at our law school. The one L's are going to you know, do it old school. They got to do all their research, draft everything themselves. Then we're going to have a legal tech class, you know, second or third year. But after that, some of them may, may just only use tech and AI and computers going forward in the practice of law. Would you care? Because at that point, you've, you've taught them to think critically, but they've, they're still going the tech way. And I agree, this is a hypothetical and there's a lot of variables. But. Yes, basically, this is when my students leave the law school when yep. they go into their firms. Do I care? It's a funny way to phrase the question. So I'll, I'll always kind of, I will always care. 
And does it bother me? As a professor, they're out of my domain. They, they can do what they will. They're kind of subject to the, the, the whims of ethics and, and their law firm. But it does bother me in, in a, as a lawyer. And I have trouble with the idea of delegating, and, and delegating is even a strange word to use here, but delegating professional responsibility to a machine. But I don't think that's really going to happen. That's probably not going to ever happen though, right? Because we're still going to be subject to the rules of professional conduct where you just can't blindly blindly just push a button and file something. Are you, are you worried about that? I, I am. I, I, I agree the ethics rules would come into play there. And I like to think the best of everyone, but I am worried about that happening. And lawyers who will do that hopefully will uh, will will meet those ethics rules um, and will be sanctioned or have some yeah. other problem. But I, I am worried about that possibility. Again, I, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt, so hopefully not. But that's a worry. One step kind of back from that. So sure, if, if, if a lawyer is not hitting, you know, write a brief and file, there's still a component where there is a way to write a legal brief or a legal memo with a mind towards the audience, with a mind towards strategy, with a mind towards how to use a particular case, how to use a particular sentence, how to present this, that I question whether a technological platform can mimic. And I agree that technology can be very, very helpful. I just don't see it being the lawyer. So let me give you an example. And some have asked me this in light of my article. So, uh, hey, Mike, so why can't I just go take one of these platforms, say I need a summary judgment standard, I'm in the Seventh Circuit, Northern District of Illinois, hit generate, and assume the platforms gives me accurate, good cases, why can't I just use that? And my response is, well, maybe you can, but my concern is that's not the end-all be-all because that computer-generated summary judgment standard is not necessarily the standard that is most beneficial to your client, at least the way it's phrased. There are ways to phrase rules that are more persuasive. All, you can be accurate and phrase a rule four different ways. So it, it, it's all case-dependent, and, and, and that's where part of my concern comes from. So let's talk about the tech you do like. You mentioned the article. There is some tech, like spell check for like sure. know, an easy, easy ones. What tech do you like for legal writing? What tech do you use? What tech do you talk about in your class? Sure. So for legal writing, legal analysis, and uh, legal research, let's put these all together. Kind of the the, the foundations of, of of being a lawyer in terms of communication. I think the some of these advanced research platforms that the larger legal companies have put out, I think they're helpful. Uh, I think they take students out of looking through books and can quickly help you find cases. Can uh, you can you, you can see if a case has been overturned? You should always look at it to make sure the platform is telling you is accurate. But I, I think those types of things are are helpful. I think it becomes unhelpful when the platform starts telling you which argument to make. I think it becomes unhelpful when the platform starts telling you which argument would be the most persuasive. And so what do I teach? Um, and we use the library and the wonderful librarians for a lot of this as well. Uh, we teach the existing legal research platforms that law firms, 
use. Um, you know, Lexus, Westlaw, Bloomberg, et cetera, even Google Scholar to some extent. So speaking of Lexus and tools, I, you know, we just had a representative of Lexus on the podcast a couple episodes ago in their product context. And this is probably tech I think you would like. You can enter in opposing counsel's name or a judge's name and find out what cases they cite, you know, and the arguments they've taken and stuff. Let's just talk about judges because you were court for a while. It seems to me that is very helpful tech going to your point where you you got to consider your audience in this particular case you're writing for a certain judge find out you know what opinion she's using a lot you you like tech like that correct i do I, I think that's incredibly helpful and that's something that i would always do as a lawyer it's something i continue to do as a lawyer and i would encourage any lawyer to do know your audience if you're writing to a judge find that judge's opinions and see what she said on the issue and if there's tech that makes that easier i'm all for it i think that's great and again, to your point, it's not saying argue this case and argue this position because this judge likes it. You know, the, 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 you like the first the first step. This judge seems to like this case. But you got to figure out whether it fits into your particular case. Exactly. If there were a platform that you put in a judge's name, you put in an issue, and the and the platform would tell you in general how the judge has written on that issue. I think that could be perhaps. And again, we're we're outside the law school context now. But could that be perhaps a, an interesting thing to gut check yourself or to uh, to be to improve your practice? Maybe I think that's an interesting discussion. Uh, to rely on that solely, I think, would be problematic. But as as an aid for your practice, I, I think that's interesting. I, I do. Michael, thanks for your time. This was appreciate wonderful. It. I appreciate you having me. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Find me at Northwestern. My email address is on there, and I'd be happy to chat. That's it for today. I appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed my conversation with Professor Zuckerman, I hope you tell a friend about the podcast and subscribe. You can find us on pretty much every major podcasting platform. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at cmain at percipient.co. And that's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.